that a, a bunch of us have a bunch of different feelings that come up on Mom's Day. So I want to speak to you about that for a second. Some of you have deep regret for maybe not being the mom that you wish you could have been. If You know that old saying, if I'd have known then what I know now. And I want you to, I want you to know that you are loved in God's eyes. And you're loved. And, and you're valued and you're honored. And Jesus has you here um, to let you know that you're valued and you're loved. And, and if you didn't do it perfectly, and you messed up every step of the way, and you have more regrets than you have joyful memories, listen to me. There was one who every step of the way was perfect in your place. And that you might come to him, because he sacrificed himself for you. And that you might find your joy and your perfection, not in whether or not you were a great mom, but because he was perfect. And he laid down his life for you. I want you to remember the gospel. The gospel is of maximum, paramount importance. And then there's a bunch of you who today is kind of rough. Because you don't have your mommy with you. And I just love you guys. And I know that um, those wounds go deep. And I I don't pretend to understand um, how profoundly you are affected by that. So what I do want to do is say this. To those of you who miss your mom or lament that your mom's not with you or maybe your relationship with your mom's not what it should be or could be, um, I just want you to know that that Jesus is the one we run to with our broken hearts, with our fractured emotions, with our regrets of the past. And so um, I pray that Jesus would just be a, a wash over you today and that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior even if you don't know what that means today that you would make Jesus the boss of your life and, as rea- and realizing that he can take even your greatest sins your greatest regrets and your deepest sorrows and turn them into joy um, but I love you moms and I'm grateful and I wish we could afford more than just these little flowers but you guys are very special um, so I'm going to pray for the moms I'm going to tra- pray for the congregation I'm going to go right into today's talk. Is that fair? Let's do it. Father, you are a gracious and holy God, one who's wonderful and good and whom we do not deserve. Lord, um, I pray for the moms here. I pray for the moms who got an A plus and the moms who failed the exam. I pray for the moms who did better than they thought they could and the moms who have more regrets than joys. I pray... For the moms that we miss desperately, and even the moms that we're estranged from. Father, I do ask that, it, that you comfort and make the heart whole that is broken over um, mom. And that you would draw us to yourself, and that you would help us to see you as glorious and magnificent. And that we would know you with all of our heart, rest in you with all of our soul. That we would find our healing, not in our performance, but in your sacrifice on the cross. That the gospel would make its way deeper into our souls. And we would recognize that the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus 
Wow. It not only pays for our sins, but it gives us hope for the future. And so we thank you, God, for loving us the way you do. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, There was a boxer who at one time would go around to anybody who would listen and scream out that he was the greatest. He would go into rings. He fought, he fought at a very young age, and he uh, fought through about three or four decades, actually. dominated the sport of boxing for a long, long time. He would walk around saying, I'm the greatest. And he would uh, uh, recite poetry that he had invented or someone else had invented for him. But uh, uh, he would recite poetry. He would declare, and then he would go into the ring and he would fight. Sometimes he would fight men who were bigger and stronger than him and prevail. And he would say, I am the greatest. He would then, he would then ask the other people around him, and after a while, after saying it for about 20 years, I am the greatest, he would ask others like Howard Cosell or other announcers, who's the greatest? Anybody know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Muhammad Ali, right, absolutely. And so, um, they would say, Muhammad Ali, you're the greatest. Now, the question that's asked, who's the greatest, I think is an important one to ask, and one that we should consider as a congregation. Muhammad Ali asked it, who was the greatest and everybody would say, oh, Muhammad Ali is the greatest. But if anybody has seen Muhammad Ali now, he's, he's sick, he's weak, and he, he can't go into the ring anymore. He's no longer the greatest. You see, because when we answer the question in our carnal minds, we think of what's spectacular now, but we don't really recognize or go deep into the question, who is the greatest? The Bible asks the same question. Now, before you get very, very spiritual and say, oh, I know the answer to this. Jesus is the greatest, right? Which is like my kids, right? Every question that I ask them about what their studies were, they always say Jesus, right? Oh, so what would you learn in, in Bible class today? Jesus? Yeah, okay, that's a great answer. That's the only right answer, right? Okay, and so yes, that's the good answer, right? But Jesus goes beyond that and says, he goes beyond that and he answers the question, Not with an answer, but with an example. I think it's very appropriate for Mother's Day. And so if you jump into, um, we're going to go into the book of John, chapter 13. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Men, listen to me. Men, listen to me. Inside of every man that I've ever met is this desire for better significance and more. Inside of every man I've ever met. I've never met a man who didn't want better or more. I never met a man who didn't want to catch the touchdown pass at a football game or, you know, be great in his community or really excel at his job. You know, um, even, even, listen to me, even the guys who are 30 years old and are still playing video games, they want to be, like, they go on, uh, 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 you know, sites where other people from around the world play and they want to be the greatest even at that. So there's a drive. Uh, for men. And so this message is important for you. Men, listen to me. This message is important to you. 
Because one day you're going to reflect on your life. You're going to look back on the life, the one and only life that you got to live. And you're going to reflect and you're going to see if you climbed up the right ladder. And some of you will have looked back and have been great successes. You would have been at the top of the ladder only to find out that it was leaning against the wrong building. The greatest is the question that you will ask over and over again with your children, with your spouse, with your work, with your endeavors in life. And if you don't get the answer right now, you'll pursue the wrong thing. Women, listen to me. you got to hear me today. Because you're moms and you want to know what greatness is and you want to exhibit greatness with your children. For some of you, and some of you who can't have children, you want to exhibit greatness in the children that you do love. Maybe you serve at the children's ministry. Maybe you um, serve at school or wherever you, wherever you are in business or in education, in, in serving. You want to know what greatness is because let me tell you something. This is what you will inherit to your children. What greatness is, you will inherit to your children. You're not just making it up for yourself. It's going to be given to your families. So this message is important for every one of us. If you miss out on this message, you may very well miss out on the very purpose of life. And so this is not just a message to listen to today. But we want to answer the question, Who is the greatest? Now, let me ask class, who's the greatest? Anybody know? Yeah, they would act like you actually mean it. Muhammad. Yeah, okay, listen. Who's the greatest? Jesus. Jesus, yes, act like you know it. Right. So now watch this. Jesus is the greatest, but then Jesus answers the question, and he doesn't give himself as the answer. He gives someone else. Isn't that interesting? And so it's to that person that we want to be like. Exciting, right? Let's read. Everyone stand on your feet because we're going to read God's Word. And quite frankly, there's nothing more awesome or exciting than God's Word. It's God's Word. Are you excited about God's Word? We're going to read a ton of God's Word. Now, listen to me. When we read God's Word, I know that you have verses 1 through 7. Okay, so if you're new, we've thought of you. In your bulletins, we have the scriptures inside your bulletins that you could read right there. Because when I first started to come, to, I didn't start coming to, ch- uh, to a church um, building until I was like 20. And so I didn't own a Bible, didn't have a Bible. So we thought about you. We thought about you. Your, Bible, your, your scriptures that we're going to read today are in the uh, bulletin. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to John chapter 13. We're going to look at 1 through 17. And if, uh, if the writing is a little bit too small in the bulletin, we're going to have it on the screen. Okay, but I want you to be able to engage. Now, real quick, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And then we're going to read 11 through 17. Everybody say 1 through 5, then 11 to 17. Okay, so we're going to read that together. 1 through 5, and then we're going to jump to verse 11 through 17. Now, there's always one person who doesn't hear that I just said 1 through 5, and you're going to hear them. Smile and keep on reading. Don't make it too obvious to them, okay? But we're going to read 1 through 5, and then what? 11 through... 11 through 17. Now, the reason that we're going to do that is because we want to get to the heart of this question. There's a great discussion between Peter and Jesus that we're not going to have time to get into. Fair enough? Are you excited? This is God's Word? Right? Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So let's read this together on the count of three. 
One, two, three. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. For he knew where he was going. For he knew where he was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. May God have said to you an example. You should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. May God bless the hearing and the reading of his word. Please have a seat. Very quickly. Okay, anybody ever heard of Jesus? Anybody? Who hasn't heard of Jesus? Anybody? Okay, right, so Jesus Jesus is, in a nutshell, Jesus is God in a bod. Does that make sense? He is God in a body. You go, whoa, that's a, that's a brain bender. That's a mind breaker, right? Yeah, I know, it's pretty ama- amazing. He's God in a body. He comes down. Now, you have to understand... Jesus has angels in heaven singing, and this is all they sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They, they just, they proclaim His praises. There is no one greater than Jesus. The, the, the Bible says that the heaven declares the greatness or the glory of God. Jesus is the most glorious, uncreated being in the universe. There is no one like Him. There will never be anyone like Him. He is greater than you can... He is greater than you think, and He is greater than you can think. There is no capacity in our minds to assimilate or appreciate or absorb the greatness the grandeur, the majesty, the beauty, the power of Jesus. And this great and mighty, all-supreme God, creator of everything you see and don't see, heard of and never heard of, He 
For the motive of love is born in a stinking, smelling manger. Is raised by two parents whom he created. If you could imagine that. Grows older, obeying his father and obeying his mother. Enduring the ridicule, you know, as a teenager, enduring ridicule from other kids. Like the most incredible indignities for a king. Could you imagine? Like, could you imagine if, if President Obama came to your place of work and became the male boy? And yet, that is a great giant leap up in comparison to what Jesus did. If Obama came, listen to me, if Obama came to your job and was the male boy, it would be like a billionaire going from a millionaire. It would mean nothing in comparison to Jesus coming down to be man. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He lives the life that you should have lived, but did not. Dies the death that you deserve to die, but don't have to, because he sacrificed himself for your sin on the cross. This great, glorious Jesus sees a broken people who are devastated by sin. It's not even something I have to convince some of you for. Isn't it true that you've been broken and devastated by your own sin? Going in the direction that you thought was right and you thought was good and this is going to bring me finances and this is going to bring me love and this is going to bring me joy. This is going to bring me peace. This is going to bring me happiness. And in fact, you found yourself curled up in a ball wondering what went wrong. Yes, listen to me. This Jesus dies for your sin. But you go, but I don't deserve God's love. Finally, you and God agree on something. Of course you don't deserve God's love, but he freely gives it because of his generous, loving spirit. This perfect creator of the universe that you would have a better chance staring at the sun in the sky than you would at the sun who who desires to live in your heart. He is an amazing, holy, great God. He sees His broken people. He sets out a plan to save their very souls for all of eternity. He endures scorn from the religious leaders. He draws prostitutes and drunkards, and addicts, and broken people unto himself. You know, he's still doing that. He's still doing that. And so he draws them to himself, and just before he goes on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, this scene pops up. I need you to keep the picture of his majesty in your mind, because this, this doesn't have its impact unless you understand his great majesty. And I know I did a terrible job explaining it. He's glorious. He's radiant. He's king. He's God. He's Lord. He's, he's a hurricane. He's a hurricane. He's a great God. And so, just before the Passover festival... Now, some of you have been around for a while, but for those of you who are new, the Passover festival is the Jewish feast that celebrates God's coming on their uh, behalf in protection from the Egyptian 
people. What happened is, is that God said, hey, listen, if you don't, uh, uh, Pharaoh, if you, and God goes, it's, it's pretty funny. God tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And then Pharaoh goes, no, he goes, I'm going to count to ten. And so you've heard of the plagues, right? Maybe you've seen the movie, right? You know, the, t- you know, the locusts and frogs and all the, you know, storms and, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, all these plagues that come on. The last plague is the most severe. He says, Pharaoh, let, let the people go, really. This is God, you know, and, and, you know, and if you're playing a game of chicken, God wins, right? Right? Yeah, God, God's not gonna blink, right? And so, and so he goes, against Pharaoh and he says, listen, so here's what's going to happen because God's not capricious. God's not going to, you know, he's not, he's going, listen, let me tell you what's going to happen. By the way, this is what's going to happen if you don't do this. So go ahead. Here's my suggestion. Do this because I'm a promise keeper. Here's what's going to happen if you don't do this. And every firstborn child was going to lose its life that night. Well, God tells Moses to go to the rest of his people and says, tell the people, listen to me, I want you to sacrifice a lamb and you go, you're going to kill a little itty-bitty lamb? A perfect little itty-bitty lamb? Isn't that terrible? An innocent animal like that reminds me of an, another who was innocent, who was sacrificed for the sins of others, who shed his blood. Maybe you might remember his name. But it was a picture of what was to happen in the future. God was saying, this is going to, this will save you for a night. There's one who's coming who'll save you for an eternity. And so, they take the lamb, and they kill the lamb, and what they do is they take the blood. It seems very archaic, I know. But God's trying to prove a point here. And he says, put it on your doorposts, the blood of the lamb. And the angel of death that comes for every firstborn child will what? Will pass over those who are consecrated. Now, let me tell you something. There is a blood that doesn't go on doorposts, who goes on hearts, and who death cannot touch. Did you hear what the word said? Death couldn't hold him down. And you know what the good news? It can't hold you down either. If you're in Christ, it won't hold you down. And so the, the blood of goats don't go on doorposts, but the blood of the one who's died in our place goes on our hearts, and death can't restrain it. And so death passes over. So it's this festival that Jesus is at, and he says, just before, so do you see, do you see the symbolism here? Do you see? Jesus is pointing back, digging back into their past so that he could bring up a truth right now. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. In other words, it it was all going to culminate to this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What does that mean, to love them to the end? What it means is the rest of John. All of what you're going to see in John 13, four, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter the whipping, the floggings. The, but it starts with what we're going to see right now. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, which was traditional. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of of Simon Iscariot, 
to betray Jesus. Could you imagine having a meal with someone you know? I mean, it's rough when you have a meal with someone who eventually betrays you, but the one who you know will betray you? Jesus is by far the greatest. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. Isn't that just a... That goes back to uh, Jesus being uh, glorious and wonderful. That He is from God. He is God in a body. There's no one like Him. So He got up from the... Now watch this. Now watch this. I just... I want... I just need to read this to you again because this is so powerful. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. Let me ask you something. Jesus recognized that He was the most powerful person in the room. Jesus knew that He had the greatest grandeur, the most the most esteem, that there was no one and nothing like Him. Jesus knew that He came from God and was going to God. Now, let me ask you a question because it begs the question. When you find out that you're the most powerful person in the room, what do you do next? When you realize that you have the most authority in the place that you're in, what's your next step? When it dawns on you, moms, when it dawns on you that you are the most powerful person in this home, what's your next step? When it hits you, men, when it hits you that you're the most powerful person in the office, when you're the most powerful person in the cargo bay, when you're the most powerful person on the, on the job, when you realize, when it dawns on you that you have more authority, you have more honor, you have more esteem than anyone else, what are you leaning towards? Jesus knew that He came from God and was going to God. I can't get over the next verse. Because when I think, when I'm the most authoritative, you know what happens when I realize that I'm the most authoritative person in the room? My chest comes out. I go, well, listen, I got this. I know what I'm doing. And I move in such a way as to dishonor the king who had all authority and all power and was so much more different than me. Just, it's, I wish I could impress upon you how powerful these two verses are as they go together. Jesus knew that he was returning to God and he got up from the meal. And so, he got up from the meal, took out his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. When Jesus realized that he was the most powerful person in the room, that there was no one like him, that all authority and honor was deserved only unto him, He prepared himself to serve. So he, did you see it in the text? When he saw that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, I love that. As a direct result of knowing he was the most powerful person in the room. He said, I know what I'm going to do. Took off his 
took off his jacket, wrapped it around his waist, Look at what the text says. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. He's the most powerful person in the room. He takes off his jacket. Now he he just doesn't even have a shirt on. And he goes, Domas, come here. Domas, give me your feet. They're dirty. I love you, Domas. And he washes their feet. And he goes down the list of all of his disciples. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel wrapped around him. I can't tell you how disgusting it is when we start talking about all the rights that we deserve. I can't tell you how gross it is when we start talking like, well, they don't know who I am. Really, please, tell me all about it. I can't tell you how gross it is when you recognize, when I recognize that I'm the most powerful person in the room. And I use my power for my benefit and not for the blessing of others. Now, let me tell you something about the washing of the feet. The washing of the feet was the, uh, the job for the lowest servant. In our society, we do not even have a category for this. Okay. To give you an idea, the person in your neighborhood who collects cans, who has the shopping cart from ShopRite, and then, you know, the bags, they could almost take a, a lane on a street. You know, they almost take up the whole sidewalk. Yeah, and they have like, you know, super, those 50 gallon garbage bags on this side and it piles up to here and they're pulling it and they're going into the garbage can and taking out the can. Yeah, that person is about three levels higher than the, the foot washer in Jesus' day. That person on the social ladder, that person is about three rungs higher than the foot washer. The person who's in uh, the restaurant, who's perhaps from a different country, who, does, who cannot, who's qualified to do so many other things, but cannot get another job lower than being a dishwasher at some dive diner who makes less than minimum wage a day, lives in an apartment with 15 to 20 people just so that he could create a better life for his family. Listen to me. That person must be 10 levels higher than the foot washer. The foot washer was the lowliest of positions. The foot washer, that you could not, in that society, you could not go lower. We do not even have a cultural equivalent of a foot washer. The closest thing that I could think about in prayer was the guy who collects cans. That's the closest thing. And yet he is three levels higher. The garbage man is 15 levels higher than the foot washer. Like, you can't, we don't have a social equivalent. The foot washer, you have to understand, was the person that when people came, they walked on roads. When you and I think of roads, we think of black tar paved roads with the paint in the middle, with the little dashes so that the cars can go this way and the cars can go that way, and they're very smooth and you can walk on them on barefoot. It's no big deal. On Jesus' day, 
that wasn't the kind of roads that they had. The roads that they had were created by traffic. In other words, no one paved, no one broke up roads. People walked paths. And if you walk the path enough, you get, anybody who's ever gone on a retreat and have traveled like the little paths that they do, you, th- those are natural paths, they're rivets that people make. And now you travel animals over them, you travel people over them, and after years and years of traveling over them, that's what they considered a road. It was the beaten path. On those roads, animals, unlike in Central Park where they have the nice little bags that catch the animals' feces, right, and manure, yeah, the roads caught the animals' feces because nobody, nobody, believe me, nobody in uh, 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem had those little baggies, right, and then he took them out and it's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to take this and just put it in the bag. Yeah, no, that did not exist in Jerusalem, right? And could you imagine doing that for a horse, right? Not happening, right? So, so what they do, so what they did was when people walked on the roads, they worked on mud, dirt, manure. And so you could understand why the lowest of low, in terms of social category, would be the foot washers. But Jesus, Jesus, he takes that position. He wraps his jacket around him and he washes feet. Go to verse 12. Go to verse 12. When he had finished washing... So let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Real quick. Who's the greatest? Now let me ask you again. Who's the greatest? No, really, really. I want to ask you. Who's the greatest? Did you just see what the greatest did? Now listen to what the greatest says. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. He says, Do you understand what I've done for you? You know what their answer really is? No! Not at all. We don't get it. We're just embarrassed at this point because you're our master and king and Lord and we know that. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them and he goes on. He says this. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightfully so. For that is what I am. Isn't that interesting? Jesus knows who he is and yet serves in the lowest position. Most of us, when we, when we start to get a whiff of who we are, we try to act bigger. It, it fills our pride. With Jesus, it filled his humility because he was all humble. He was all great, all humble. You call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Look at the next verse. I've set an example. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, 
No master is greater than his... Uh, no ser- uh, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Who's the greatest? Jesus. Who does Jesus say is the greatest? I don't know. Don't get so spiritual. I'm going to read the text to you because it's real clear and it's real plain. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I am doing for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Who did Jesus say was the greatest? Those, those who serve, isn't it? See, now in our society, it's totally different. In our society, to serve is embarrassing. In fact, wives, look up at me. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? If your husband's not treating you right, there's no real incentive to serve. There's none. Right? Husbands, if, if your kids are rebelling, there's no real incentive to serve. If your boss is treating you badly, there's no real incentive to serve. See, most of us don't mind doing service so long. Listen, so we don't mind serving so long as we're not treated as servants. But once we're treated as servants, once the world treats us, we just puff up in pride and we say, no, I'm not going to put, I'm going to take my jack, I'm going to take my coat off from around my waist, I'm going to put it back on, and I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm supposed to let them just walk all over me, we say? Well, let's see. The king of the universe. There's nothing, he could not have illustrated this any deeper. Who is the greatest? Who did Jesus say is the greatest? Servant. Listen. And that's today's lesson. You want to be the greatest? Serve. And so I just have two things. I want to, there's two things that I want to do. One is that for those of you who have been in our congregation and haven't had an opportunity to serve, we have a one-day challenge. It doesn't even last a day. It probably lasts an hour. And here's the one-day challenge. Everybody get your yellow card out. I should have told you this from the beginning, but I didn't. My bad. And in your bulletin, does everybody have your bulletin? In your bulletin, there's an opportunity for you to serve. You can go, hey, I want to be in education, and there's a number for you to call. But here's what I want you to do. In your bulletin, go, I'm going to take the one-day challenge. And you don't have to write all this down, but you just go, I want to take the one-day challenge. And what that means is, I'm going to serve in a ministry for a day. Now, we're going to go beyond this, but this is a great place to start. Because you go, oh no, I just serve wherever the Spirit leads me. You people are so cute to me. The reason that you're so cute is because you say you want to serve and you, you've, managed to, you've managed to deceive yourself to thinking that you're actual servants. Because there's actually nothing. When people say they're generous, it's cool to say you're generous so long as you don't keep receipts. 
Because if you keep receipts, then you can actually add up how generous you really are. And most people, most people will spend more on cat food than they do investing in the kingdom of God. Listen to me. Listen. What a great opportunity for you to premeditate your service than right here in the kingdom of God. Now, if you think, oh, this is pastor talk, I knew I was going to get to this and all that stuff, go serve somewhere else. We don't need you to serve here. But for those of you who the Spirit of God have touched, I want you to serve. I want you to pick a day. Let me tell you something. We have three services. And they're, listen to me, they are staffed by something like 22 volunteers. 22 volunteers. We have over 200 people who show up on a Sunday. Over 200 people who show up on a Sunday. 22 do everything from soup to nuts. Listen to me. I want so bad for our congregation. Listen to me. If the whole world, if the whole world knows that we believe in Jesus, it won't change them. If the whole world, listen, does anybody know how much I love this book? Does anybody? I love this book. This Bible's, I love this Bible. God speaks to me through his word. I would die if I didn't have God's word. Listen to me. The whole world could care less if we read our Bibles. But you know what they'll take up and they'll take notice at? If we serve them. And this is your boot camp. This is your boot camp with family. So that when people treat you like a servant, you can start maturing and going, you know what? I can be the greatest. You're giving me the opportunity to be the greatest right now. You're giving me, oh, but they're treating me disrespectfully. You're giving me the opportunity to be the greatest. So that when you get out in that world and you start serving those people, you don't talk out the side of your neck, you don't act the fool, you don't, you don't make yourself look silly, and then people go, oh, and I heard you a Christian. And all that other stuff, which, by the way, we all know that good people aren't going to heaven, only forgiven people are. So it's not a matter of being perfect. But what I am saying is that if I, want, if I want this world to know our how for anything, it's for our service. So listen to me. I'm going to give you a one-day challenge. And here's my prayer. That you will volunteer for one ministry or a dozen ministries. You know, in different times, obviously. And you won't, you won't stop volunteering in the one-day challenge until you find the ministry that, you, that God has called you to. So that's what I want to do with that. I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to make it an emotional thing. I just, man. Who does Jesus say is the greatest? Then be great. Then be great. Here's an opportunity to serve. Secondly, for those, now I'm only talking to 22 of you. For those of you who are on the elder staff, and you come early, and you stay late, and you counsel, and you lose finances, and you lose... I'm, t- I'm, I'm not inventing this, I'm just remembering this. Elders, listen to me. And you sacrifice, and you get away from your family for long periods of time, and you wind up in hospitals because you serve so intensely. You take a pay cut, like a third of your salary, for you elders. I want you to know 
that God sees your sacrifice. And He loves you. And He doesn't love you because of your sacrifice. But He loves you. For those of you who are in the education ministry, who every week teach your kids, well, I'll get to the kids later, but teach the adults and and learning, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And He thinks, listen to me, elders and education people, He thinks you're great. He thinks you're great. For those of you who count the money that comes in and you have to have a level of of not being able to be accused above reproachness, you know, so they walk into a room two at a time. They don't even walk in the room if there's money there and there's only one of them there. They close the door and they wait for another person. And they count and they recount and then they pinch every penny and they give, oh my goodness. And they're, you know, uh, I mean, uh, they, they give like, okay, you're only allowed 300 copies this month. And they give you that stack of paper. Those are the administrators. That's what they do. They just, so that your dollars that you give here can get stretched out to the max. So that, so that hungry people could eat. And naked could be fed. And homeless could be housed. And, and, and people could be loved. And secretaries could pick up phones so that people, when they call, they don't just hear an answer. Machine, listen to me. God thinks you're great. For people who work in the kids' church, and, you know, you, you receive the kids whose parents seem to have totally ignored the, the text that says, discipline your kids, Right? And, you're, and those parents expect you to fix the kids in an hour after 168 hours of being with the parents. I want you to know you're great. I think you're great. God thinks you're great. For those of you who direct people to their seats and sometimes people tell you that they're going to sit where they want to sit and they don't care about what you're telling them and they're totally disobedient. Number one, not anybody here. You're not going to do that. But for the other services that do that, and I know that you host ministry guys and do it a lot. You say, you, you try to welcome people in parking and people just want to take up two spaces and you're just trying to serve the kingdom. God thinks you're great. For those of you who make this service happen, turn on the lights and make sure that the mics have batteries and things that you don't even ever think about. That wires are connected and that and that and that pianos play and that drummers have their drumsticks. You service people. You're great. For those of you who feed the poor, who clothe the naked, who at the end of the service will run to the back of this room and t- and take the money that we've invested and just, you know, offer people a cup and they'll take six and I get it and then they tell you to flip off and all that other stuff. For those of you who buy the food long before anybody here thinks about it. God thinks you're great. I love our church. I love our church. I love our church because there's a group of people who are great. And my desire is for all of us to be great. But not to be great on your idea, 
not to be great on, on what you think is great, but to be great about what Jesus thinks is great. I know there's a bunch of you here who goes, no, I don't have the time. No, it's too costly. No, I don't have, I'm too busy. I live too far away. I, 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 I. Your focus is not on Jesus. I'm giving you an opportunity to be great. Don't let it pass you by. I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, you are great. There's no one like you. There's no one like you. And so, Lord, you see us, Lord. You see us in our selfishness. You see us in our self-centeredness. You see us. Lord, would you make us like Jesus? Would you make us great? And so, Lord, I pray for those that are here who don't know Jesus. I pray, oh God, that they would confess their sins. They would just admit their faults and their regrets and their shame and their guilt to Jesus. That they would just admit it to Him. And that they would also receive His forgiveness and let Him be the boss of their lives, the boss of their bodies. That's my prayer for everyone here. But Lord... I pray, Lord, that as we walk throughout our days, as we walk throughout our week, as we give ourselves to the rest of our lives, Lord, I pray that we would strive to be great. And that we would do it because we're following the example of the greatest who did the lowest task and said that the greatest would be the one who served. Not the ones who make poems about themselves. Not the ones who beat other people in rings, but those who serve the poor, those who love the unlovely, those who look like Jesus. Father, I pray that we would all, mothers and all, fathers and all, children and all, I pray that we would all be committed to being great the way Jesus described it. For we pray in Jesus' name.